Well, the last time I preached this sermon was a number of years ago, and in preparation for it, I ended up looking at Google under the word wisdom. There were lots of things there, but one, one particular video that was made for a high school, I, I think graduation, stood out to me. Because the, the YouTube thumbnail, well, let me just show it to you. Never believe what others tell you. You're perfect the way you are. Now, despite the fact that uh, I can't take this advice because it's from somebody else, this is the kind of stuff that shows up in wisdom, right? It's nonsense. Now, I, I understand some of the sentiment behind it, but it's bizarre, and not biblical. You're not perfect just the way you are. Maybe in standing with Christ, but we all have things that we need to work on. There are two types of wisdom. And the book of James gives us those two types. James distinguishes between them in this passage that we're going to encounter today. We'll be in chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And we're going to see that the source of wisdom needs to be trustworthy. The means of wisdom needs to be solid. And the outcome needs to be positive. So let's take a look at what James has to say about this wisdom. Starting in verse 13, we read, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James as he frequently does, starts with a question to ponder. He wants us to think and reflect on this. It's a rhetorical question. We'll get to the catch in this question later, but how do you determine who is wise and who is not? Well, James says it's pretty easy to figure that out. Just look at their life. Look at their conduct. By his good conduct, let him or her show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom and understanding are linked to works and conduct. It's how wisdom is demonstrated. Wisdom isn't just knowledge or being smart, although I think sometimes, even in my own mind, that's where I relegate wisdom to. Just something in the head, knowing what to do, maybe at the right time. But biblical wisdom is something a little different. It's more all-encompassing. And really, it's more synonymous with character. If we're pursuing the character of Christ, it will, in fact, inform our decisions. And God is after right decisions. But even more than that, God is after the right way in which we go about making them and acting on them, the right motives for doing so, and the right attitude during it. Wisdom is less often what should I do and more often who should I be. And that's a common misconception that I fall into frequently. I don't know about you, but often I pray for wisdom, asking for wisdom, and yet it's tell me what to do, God. I just want to know the right answer. 
what my prayer should be, not that that's wrong, but what my prayer should also be is, God, give me the character of Christ as I make these decisions. One commentator explained that wisdom is the knowledge of what to do and the ability to do it. And I firmly believe that that ability is not just developed skill, but is God-given. If we're really dealing with character, if we're really dealing with the right attitude going through life and the right motives and everything else, that requires Christ. And God is telling us through James that if we're truly wise, we will show our works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is an interesting word, isn't it? I think many times people associate meekness with weakness. Not just because they rhyme, but meekness is one of those traits that mm, maybe is appreciated in other people, but it's not how to get ahead in this world. And I'm not sure that our culture typically appreciates meekness. But Jesus is described as meek. In, uh, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he actually describes himself as meek or gentle with that same root word. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So regardless of what our culture might think, if anybody could be considered meek, which is the essence of strength restrained and controlled, it would be Jesus. God is a man who could have prevented the cross, could have come down from the cross, could have brought a legion of angels to help him at any time and didn't. He took the cross. He took the torture. He took the punishment. He took the insults, the blasphemy, all of that out of love and to glorify the Father. That is meekness. And it does not in any way mean weak. It means controlling the strength, disciplined strength. I think it's far easier to take the unwise path. It's far more difficult to take the meek path. Far more difficult to control my mouth than to just let it run. It's easier to want to get back at someone rather than restrain a response. I think it takes much more courage and resolve and self-control to be meek and to practice that wisdom. And James is going to tell us what wisdom is not, followed by what wisdom is is. He goes on in verse 14 to say, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Again, James is giving us some tools to figure out what wisdom is not. And you can tell by examining the source, the means, and the outcome. Or 
the from where it came from, the how, and what the results are. Let's talk about the source first. In the, in the Christian's life, there are three enemies. The world, the enemy, or Satan, and the flesh. Those are the three enemies. Two of those are, are tied pretty closely together because the world, at least as described biblically, is that system set up that is really opposed to God. That's the world. And it is a, it is a constant pressure exerted to conform us to it. It's always there, always wanting to mold us into it. In our culture, the world is not godly. It lies to us because it is influenced by Satan, who is a liar. But the threats aren't just external. We have an internal threat too, the flesh, our, our sin nature, if you will. Right? That deceives us also. We lie to ourselves, so you can't even just trust your gut, so to speak, for knowing true wisdom. You can see all these threats in, in verse 15, actually, when James says that this wisdom is not from above, but it's earthly, the world, unspiritual, the flesh, and demonic, the enemy. Now, it's pretty, it's pretty drastic when he first read that to hear that the world's wisdom is demonic. But James says there are two camps. Jesus says there are two camps. You're either for him or against him. That's it. You can't be on the fence. There is no spiritual Switzerland. Following the wisdom of the world is demonic. I was looking at some other videos again just looking for some ideas of wisdom and uh, again not to not to make fun of anyone um, but I believe there was a Buddhist monk that was that was explaining some of these uh, different things about our nature right and one of the things that he said is you know right now you are perfect you're good your nature I'm like that is actually the exact opposite of what scripture says what scripture says is that we have a sin nature. We want to sin. That is built into us, and we do. We're very good at it. So our whole nature needs to be transformed. That's why we need a Savior. And so a lot of these things that you will see, again, thinking back to, our, to that first message to the high school graduates, I can, I can envision in my mind Hundreds or maybe thousands of people uh, gathered for a graduation looking at that first quote, you're perfect just the way you are, don't listen to anybody else, and see heads nodding because it sounds positive, but it's demonic. And I don't want to say that in a way that is harsh, but it is a harsh truth. And it needs to be said. The, the fountain of wisdom that this world or the enemy offers says all sorts of things. Right? Be whoever you want to be. 
It's fine. Look out for number one. You deserve to be happy. Oh, and we're all cosmic accidents. And you need to take what you can get. No one is harmed by what you do and, and so on and so forth. But if the source of wisdom is your flesh or the culture or Satan himself, it is not real wisdom and it has consequences. Because that kind of wisdom works itself out in the following ways. James describes the means or the how of foolish living. And when he does, he lists what we might call two root sins. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Uh, verse 14 and again in 16. Now some have called pride the, uh, the root sin. Right? But I think it'd be hard to argue against selfishness or jealousy. Because I think... In, in selfish ambition and jealousy, we have, we have pride. They are both forms of pride. Selfish ambition, pursuing things for yourself with no regard for others. It's pride manifested in believing that you are the most important. That what you deserve, that, or that you deserve what you can take or what you can get. Selfish ambition is pride. So is jealousy, really. Jealousy is selfishness just related to others. It's pride in thinking that nobody deserves more than you. Think about this. How the serpent tempted Eve in the garden. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, the serpent casts doubt on God's motives towards Eve. He suggests and actually says that God is holding out on them. Right? God doesn't want you to be like them, so he's keeping you down. And Satan, through the serpent, connects with both selfish ambition, God's keeping you down, and jealousy. God has something that you don't have. You should want it. It was a good tactic then because it worked. And apparently it still works really well. Satan doesn't need to change his tactics because we keep falling for it over and over and over again. But selfish ambition is being all about me. Jealousy is being all about me relative to you. If selfishness is looking in the mirror constantly, jealousy is using someone else as a mirror. And they're both negative. Now, here's what I mean by that. You're like, I, I know, they're both bad. Yes, but they're also both negative in that they're both, they're both sins and attitudes centered around what you don't have. 
Selfish ambition is about pursuing what you don't have, regardless of the cost to others. And jealousy is often about wanting what somebody else has that you don't. And actually, there's two forms of jealousy. Usually when we talk about jealousy, we, we preach this, and, and uh, this was one of the, the really profound things that someone had taught me earlier. There's, there's the type of jealousy that we usually think of, like you have something, I want it. And then there's like the more insidious form of jealousy, the more subtle form of jealousy, in that I don't have it, so neither should you. Selfish ambition sees people as obstacles. Jealousy sees people as competition. So again, if you find yourself viewing people in either of these ways, you're on dangerous ground and are not wise in the biblical sense. Neither see people as they really are, either children of God or people who desperately need to be adopted into the family of God. That's how God sees people. And so we should too. And it's a fundamental change in, in the framework in which we view people. So that's, a, that's the means of earthly or demonic wisdom. And guess what it results in? Well, James says, where those things exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The outcome of unbiblical wisdom is disaster. It's honestly not hard to look around the world and see that. God is a God of order and peace. And so to see disorder in the church, as James was writing to, he's writing to Christian community. To see disorder is concerning to say the least, for James. And it's it's obvious that some people aren't exercising the wisdom from above, from God. And so you end up with conflict. You end up with factions and parties and favoritism and selfish power plays and people being trampled and people boasting and making themselves out to be greater than they are. All of that is happening in the Christian community. And James says that result is not matching up with wisdom from above. If you're following wisdom from above, this is not going to happen, or at least not frequently, and you'll be able to move through it. James instructs the hearers and readers who have those tainted hearts not to boast about their wisdom. Because in doing so, they demonstrate that they don't have it. Remember what we, what we read earlier? James asked this question, who is wise among you? Right? Let, uh, it's the people who demonstrate good works done in humility. So if anyone raises their hand and says, yes, that's me. No, it isn't. It's not. Humility. They've just proved they aren't wise because they aren't doing anything in humility. Let's take a look, though, about what wisdom is. James says in verse 17, 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, with what wisdom is, we see the source, the means, and the outcome. But this time in true wisdom. The source is pretty obvious from above, God. Right, this, God is wisdom. Right, he's the very definition of wisdom. And it's the measuring stick for wisdom because he's it. So if we should look to anyone, well, it should be obvious that we should look to God. And then James get in, gets into this uh, really unique list that describes the means of wisdom. First pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Purity is a good place to start. It's related to the word holy, right? So if if wisdom is really pursuing character, then purity or holiness is a fantastic place to start and encapsulates the whole process. We're to be pursuing the character of Christ. Then we get to some of these other items in this list. And what is lost in translation, uh, literally, is that this list is probably not an actual ranking of the attributes of wisdom, as in pure is the most important, and then peaceable is the second most important, and gentle is third most important. What he actually does is creates this list of E's and A's. Right? So all of, all of these first characteristics begin with A, or with E, and are alliterative. And he ends with characteristics that begin with A. And there are a couple things that I, that I want to point out in this list. Each, each and every one of those characteristics is worth meditating on and worth a sermon in and of itself. But there's a couple things that they have in common that I want to point out. And one of them is that they all require relationship. They all require relationship. You can't exhibit wisdom apart from relationship. Wisdom is seen. It's demonstrated. It's practical. It's, it's demonstrated not in isolation, but with others. I mean, think about it. It's pretty easy to be peaceable if you don't have to deal with people. Right? Gentleness requires someone to be gentle to or with. Open to reason assumes that you're interacting with other people who may not see things the way you do. How do you show mercy if you have no one to be merciful to? Right? That's something that costs in helping someone or in giving mercy when someone has hurt you. Same with impartiality and sincerity and showing of good fruits. Those are all things that require interaction with other people. God has given us the best wisdom makers. When a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit to live inside them, to transform them, and to guide them and help them. And he's also given us other people where we get to practice wisdom. 
Now, if we, were follow, if we are following that wisdom from above, James says that righteousness and peace are the result. Well, it's a far different outcome than disorder in every vile practice. As we grow in wisdom, we're growing in character, we're becoming more like Jesus Christ. And peace, inner and outer peace, is the result of wisdom. Compared with, think about how unsettling and self-destructive and just destructive in general the path of selfish ambition and jealousy is. The other thing that I wanted to point out with this list that they have in common is that they're all de-escalators. What I mean by that is that there are ways to actually resolve issues and problems and situations, not make them worse or win Again, hence, peace being the result of following the wisdom from above. As we start closing out this sermon, I wanted to share something from one of my favorite websites, despair.com. They advertise themselves as uh, their tagline, motivational products don't work, but our demotivator products don't work even better. And I love this because there's so much truth in some of these Oh, you know all the motivational posters that came out, what, 30 years ago? And, uh, and there's so much truth in some of these, but this is one of my favorites. Dysfunction. Right? The only consistent feature of all your dissatisfying relationships is you. And yes, it's tongue-in-cheek, but yes, it's also kind of true. Now, I'm not going to say that you're always the problem, right? But if you find yourself constantly in conflict, it's at least worth asking the question, am I the problem? Right? Am I pursuing selfishness? Am I jealous and that's what's causing a lot of issues with people around me? Because if I am, then conflict is bound to happen. You see, if we, if we see people as competition, if I'm racing, I know, racing a ladder, both of us are incapable of running. But if, but if I see people, we'll pretend this is people, if I see people where we're in a race and I need to win, that's a heart problem. And there's going to be conflict. Or if I see people as rungs on a ladder, just something to get to where I need to be, to use them. Well, that's a heart problem and there's going to be issues. Or, or if I see people as an obstacle that I need to step over or move around, well then, again, that's a heart issue and I'm not seeing people the way that God sees people. And there's going to be conflict and there's going to be disorder. How do you see people? That's the real root of all of this. Again, the last time that I preached this sermon, I was coming out of a conflict. And it was really appropriate timing. I got to share that with you. And this year, it seemed a little different. I'm like, well, I don't, there isn't conflict that I know of. So maybe I'll need to prepare this sermon a little bit differently. Well, God saw it fit to show me some conflict that I didn't know about. 
this week. Things that I was pursuing, selfishness that I was pursuing that maybe wasn't what most people would call ambitious, but, but it was still selfish. I was ignoring people around me or using people around me just to get to my next step. And it was wrong. And it's humbling to realize some of those things, especially when you think everything is going pretty well. But I realized that 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 was my attitude, that was my motive, that was the, the means of wisdom that I was that I was using. And here's the thing about conflict. I don't know about you, but most of the time, most of the time in a conflict, I know exactly what to do. I just don't want to do it. And that, I think, is where our prayers need to be in asking God for wisdom it's not necessarily knowing that right thing to do because we probably know already it's God give me the character give me the desire to do the right thing in that situation and to be peaceable and to see people as you do God as we uh as we close out, we have an opportunity to celebrate the event that made a relationship with God possible. His death and resurrection. We have a table set up in the back for communion. And it's open to anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. during the next couple songs I would invite you to take a piece of the bread it's all gluten free by the way Um, take a piece of the bread that represents Jesus' body that was hung on a cross and to dip that in the the juice that represents Jesus' blood I think communion is, is a fantastic time if you are in conflict now would be a really great time to resolve it. Maybe it's an argument on the way to church. That's been known to happen a fair amount. right? So maybe you need to lean over to a spouse or friend or child and take care of something. Resolve conflict. Follow that wisdom from above. And if you're not at the place yet where you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, this would be the most opportune time right here, right now, before you leave to take care of the biggest conflict that anyone can ever have and that's the conflict in the relationship between us and God because of sin and it's simple but not easy it's simple in the sense that all you need to do is believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus that he died for you but it's not easy because what that what that means is that you get to give up yourself and stop pursuing selfish things. To live for someone else, to live for God instead of for yourself. So that's where it's not easy, but it is simple.